Today's passage is from Acts chapter 10, 34 to eleven eighteen. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also, also had received the word of God. So when, Je when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objectives, objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord.
All right. Can you guys hear me? All right, perfect. Happy Easter Sunday. Uh, Christ is risen. Um, it's great to be with you guys this morning. I just want to say welcome uh, to Lord's Love Church. Uh, for those of you who are new with us today, my name is Howard, and I'm the youth and young adults pastor here. And uh, today, it is my joy, privilege, and honor to be sharing God's word with you all uh, on this special occasion. And so, uh, we are continuing, continuing on our series called The Book of Acts, Gospel in Motion, and focusing on how the early church uh, started and became a vibrant church, uh, a community of believers who would preach the gospel in many uh, different places, and they were making a difference uh, in God, for God's kingdom. And so the gospel was constantly moving, and the Holy Spirit was working in and through them. And how fitting is it uh, that to, in today's passage, it's about the resurrection, and it lands on the resurrection Sunday. So amen to that. Uh, before I start, I just want to pray. Um, yeah, just join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your love and your faithfulness and your grace in our lives. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross and resurrected, Lord, that, that we have new life. And, and this is why here today we celebrate this victory, your victory, and that we get to be part of it, we get to experience it. And so we're thankful for this time, and we lift up the time right now as we read your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be here, that your Holy Spirit will help us see more of who you are, that we will be able to see your glory, your majesty, and how great Jesus is. So I pray that your word would change our lives and change the way that we see things, and that we will see things in your lens, God. So we pray that you be with us in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I don't know if you guys have seen uh, a documentary on Netflix called Free Solo. Okay? So if you haven't, it's called Free Solo. If you haven't, I want to encourage you uh, to watch it. It's if you want something really exciting and keeps you awake. Uh, because, um, yeah, it'll make you really nervous. It'll make you really sweaty. Like my wife, Laval, she usually sleeps for movies. When we watch movies, she's usually the first one to sleep. Um, but then that documentary kept her awake. And so Free Solo is about a free solo climber named Alex Honnold, who was the first person to free solo climb, meaning climb without any harness or support uh, on El Capitan, which is a vertical rock formation in uh, Yosemite uh, National Park. I'm glad I pronounced that right. Uh, it was a 30, it's a 3,200 feet tall sheer granite of rock from the base. So it's pretty high up, it's vertical up. And he had to climb up there without any harness. And so in this documentary, Alex had a dream and goal to climb up this big rock without any harness. And so again, uh, obviously the only time he, he used a harness was during his practice. Um, but then this time, when he actually had to do the real thing, he only had one chance, only one chance, because if he screwed up the climb, he would plummet to his death, right? So this was a crazy dream and challenge that he wanted to pursue, to set a record, and nothing could have stopped him, not even his girlfriend, and the only best thing she could do is just to be there and, and support uh, him. And so just to give you an idea what I'm kind of talking about, uh, I'm gonna show a little uh, trailer um, 
right here. to be up there without a rope. It's obviously like much higher consequence. People who know a little bit about climbing, they're like, oh, he's totally safe. And then people who really know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. I've thought about our cap like for years and every yeah. year I'm like, that's really scary. I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. Cap is the most impressive wall on earth. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. It's the center of the rock climbing universe. Obviously, I get interview questions about it all the time. Oh, would you like to do that? And you're like, yes, for sure. So you're a girlfriend now, I heard. It's awesome. <laughs> Pretty much makes life better in every way. It's really hard for me to grasp why he wants this. But if he doesn't do this stuff, he'd regret it. Everybody who has made free soloing a big part of their life is dead now. I haven't been injured in like seven years. I suddenly start getting injured all the time. What if something happens? <laughs> what if I don't see him again? I could just walk away, but it's like, I don't want to. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. I think when he's free soloing, that's when he feels the most alive, most everything. How can you even think about taking it away from somebody? No mistakes tomorrow. It's starting to get kind of psyched. If you're pushing the edge, eventually you find the edge. I can't believe you guys are actually gonna watch. Hey Jimmy, do you copy? Just started climbing. All right, please don't do this. So, it's crazy. It's a one-time thing. And if you messed up, you messed up. And so the end result that he accomplished his dream and, and climbed up uh, El Capitan was actually one hour, uh, 58 minutes and seven seconds. So under two hours, that was his goal. That was what he wanted to do. Now, why am I talking about this rock climber? Because there is no documentary if Alex didn't make it to the top. Like the point is that he accomplished his dream and what he said that he would do. He pursued it and he completed this challenge. Likewise, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection because he accomplished what he claimed that he would do. Without Jesus' resurrection, there is no faith. We would still be dead in our sins. But because of his death and resurrection, his ultimate victory, we have been offered a new life, a new beginning. So the big idea for today. Right there. Oh, I'll, I'll let you press it. So Christ's resurrection begins a new chapter. Christ's resurrection begins a new chapter. A, an author of the commentary said this, 
death was not the end of the story, but the beginning. As God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and had him appear to the apostles as pre-appointed. Jesus' death and resurrection begins a new chapter in our lives, meaning that he offers us new life and a new identity that is rooted in Christ. So before we dive into the scripture today, I just want to give a 30-second summary because I practiced this, it went longer, and my wife, LaBelle, said, please don't bore people. So I'm going to try to do it in 30 seconds. So pretty much the, the passages before, the passage before, it was about a man named Cornelius. He was, he was a, an Italian centurion, so a Gentile, and how God spoke to him in his dream and told him to go meet Peter. And then on the other hand, uh, uh, Peter fell into a trance, into a vision, and then God spoke to him and told him to meet Cornelius, all right? So there's a Gentile and there's a Jew that God has orchestrated to tell them to meet together. Now, the context behind this is that if you don't know, Jews and Gentiles do not associate with one another. So this is actually a big deal that they're coming to meet with one another. And so when they met together, Peter had to explain just to make sure that, that Cornelius knew uh, notes that he explains that it is against the law for Jew to associate with Gentiles, but God has called me to meet with you. And so Cornelius also explained his side of the story of how God told him to meet Peter. So the conclusion is that Peter recognized that God doesn't show favoritism and that he did indeed orchestrate this whole meetup so that both the Jews and Gentiles would witness God's kingdom work in uniting different nations together. So the first point I want to make, I keep pressing the wrong button. There we go. That's why. Okay. The gospel is for everyone. That means that in Christ, there is no more division among nations. Rather, there is family and there is unity. So please follow along with me in verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him. There are three things that I want us to focus here. The first thing is that God does not show favoritism. The second one is that God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Again, right here, I want to look into the word fear. As you guys remember, if you remember in Proverbs, that the word fear does not mean being afraid or scared. It means being in reverence in God, to revere God. And so right here, it means to um, revere God. And God also accepts those who has this desire, this passion to do what is right, to pursue righteousness, to pursue living the right conduct. So in other words, God accepts those from other nations, those who want to repent, who want to turn away from their sins. And then he explains, Peter then goes on to explain uh, the gospel and how the gospel included the Gentiles. And he writes, he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in uh, Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed uh, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 
Now, Peter mentions Israel because all along, God promised to bring the Messiah to free the Israelites from being oppressed by their enemies and to save them from their sins. So when Jesus came, the message of the good news was brought first to the nation of Israel and then to the Gentiles. So overall, God sent Jesus to bring the good news of peace to everyone. And so in Jesus' life and ministry, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. So at that time, the devil controlled all of humanity, causing them to sin more and more. And Jesus was here to confront the devil's works. And if we, if, I don't know if you guys remember, but back in the, in the Gospels, Jesus hung out with many sinners. One of them was Matthew, the tax collector. And so when Jesus ate with Matthew, the tax collector, guess what? Remember what the Pharisees asked? Like, why is he eating with sinners? Right? And then Jesus responds, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus' agenda is different than what we think is right. In Jesus' agenda, in God's kingdom, and I hope that you guys know this, and I don't know who needs to hear this today, but sometimes we forget that the truth, that God is never after those who think they're righteous or have their act together. In fact, he was always championing those who were lost, broken, and sinful. And that's the reason he came. Jesus came to meet us where we are at. We know who God is because Jesus revealed himself by coming down to earth to be in a relationship with us so that we would experience his presence, his love, his grace, and who he is. So therefore, the good news about Jesus of salvation is actually available for all of us, regardless of race, ethnicity, language, and age. So what I'm trying to say is that you belong to him, whether you admit it or not. That's the truth. We all belong to Jesus of all who believe in him. And the second point. It's that Christ's resurrection offers us new life, faith, and purpose. Jesus' death means salvation is made available for all. He died, and he conquered sin and death when he rose from the dead. And if you think about it, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he would stay dead. He would stay dead. That means that we would still be dead in our sins. And that means that anyone could technically claim to be a savior oh, I'm going to save you from your sin, I'm going to die for you. But it doesn't work that way. As we all know that Jesus did die and he rose again, and that means that this is God's victory. And so Peter explains in verse 39a, we are witnesses, that meaning we saw it with our own eyes, it's real, of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And so 39 to, 39, uh, to 43 we are witnesses of everything in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom had already been chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the, peop preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed 
as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. The cross was the necessary means in, by which Jesus had to die in order to set us free from our sins because at one point, sin had a foothold in our lives. It controlled us. It caused us to keep sinning, to keep doing wrongful acts. What this means is that without, again, without Jesus' death on the cross, what this means is that our sins would continue to define who we are. Our sins will continue to define who we are. And the result of sin is death. That means when one day when we leave this earth, we will be eternally separated from God. And I hope that you guys know this truth. Right? Whether you're a believer or not, that one day we will leave this earth. We will be dead. And so where do you think we're going to go? And so the result of sin, the result of all of our wrongdoing is death. And so after we die, we're going to be eternally separated from God. And that is why, again, Jesus came to sacrifice himself, to show, to demonstrate his sacrificial love so that we would be forgiven, so that we would be saved, that we would not face God's punishment. So after Jesus died, Peter says, he raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now, Jesus' resurrection makes a huge difference in our life and in our faith. There are two things I want to address right here. The first thing about resurrection is that because of Christ's resurrection, we died to our old self and have been offered a new life. So Jesus' victory over sin and death means that that sin has no foothold over our lives and control us to act against God's will. Jesus offers us a new life. That means that our old way of thinking, of living, of acting are dead. Our past sins and our mistakes no longer define who we are. And the new way means that God has offered us a new way, a new identity that is rooted in who Christ is. That means that Jesus says who we are. And so Romans chapter 6, verse 49, you may be familiar with this. Paul writes, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again and get this final part. Death has no, has, uh, no longer has mastery over him. The second thing about resurrection is this. Without Christ's resurrection, there is no real faith. It's his resurrection, rising up from the dead and being alive again, that gives us the new faith that we need today. So, the resur- so what I'm trying to say is that the resurrection of Jesus actually completes 
salvation, meaning that Jesus' death on the cross is part of the salvation. But it's Jesus' resurrection that completes the picture because if Jesus was never resurrected, like I mentioned earlier, that meant that he was dead and was never raised to life, which meant that death would have had a foothold on Jesus and he did not win. But of course, we know that Jesus is risen and we are no longer slaves to our sins. So resurrection makes a huge difference. Without Jesus resurrecting, we have no faith. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 to 17, Paul writes, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, meaning it's useless, it's pointless, there's no purpose. You are still dead in your sins. So that is why Jesus' resurrection makes a huge impact in our lives. This is why whatever that we struggle with in our lives, the battles that we face, we can actually overcome the battle and actually have a second chance and actually move forward and grow in our life and not feel stuck with our past mistakes. And so verse 42 to 43, Peter says, he commanded us to preach to the people. I want to point out that I believe also that the, because of Christ's resurrection, he also offers us a new purpose, a new direction. Because 42 right here, Peter says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So if you remember in the Matthew, in the Great Commission, that God, that Jesus commissioned us to go and preach the gospel, to be missional in wherever, whichever place that he has called us to be. So in this new chapter, in this new life that Christ has given us, there is a role that we are, a calling that we are all to live out. It's not just to come to church on Sunday to listen to, to worship God together with music and to hear, you know, a pastor preach a sermon, but it's actually to get out of church and actually to to be missional and to minister to others in, in your workplace, in your school, wherever that you are at with your neighbors, that we are supposed to go and tell people and to point people about Jesus. So it is our calling to live that out. And as Peter has done, that he was able to reach out to the Gentiles, Cornelius. And then that we see that the Spirit of God was at work. Now, the third point I want to make from looking at this passage is that nobody can stop the work of the Holy Spirit when God is on the move. I really believe that no one can actually stop the work of the Holy Spirit when God is on the move because the Spirit of God has power to do amazing things. And so we read verse 44 to 46. While Peter was still standing uh, sorry, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, meaning the Jewish Christians who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, meaning that the Holy Spirit working in them the same way that they did in the beginning when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The Gentiles were experiencing the work of the Spirit in a similar way as well. For, in verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God.
God. Now, if you're new with the faith, with the Christian faith, speaking in tongues is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to certain believers where they communicate with God in a foreign language or, or words where actually others do not understand. It may sound like gibberish to them. But this is a direct communication with God, and only certain people have this type of gift. And so through speaking in tongues, it's so obvious, okay? You're in a foreign language, you can't understand. So obviously, if someone does that, <laughs> you know that God is at work, right? Um, and so, yeah, when they, they see that they were, like, speaking in tongues, and they were, like, praising, worshiping God. And so this was evidence of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that even the Gentiles were now encountering God's presence. And people can see, okay, you know what? God is so great that now the gospel, the good news, is not just for the Jews. It's now for the Gentiles, meaning everyone else can be part of it. So because they have received the Holy Spirit, Peter orders them to be baptized. So baptism is, first of all, a declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're declaring to people, this is what Jesus has done in my life, and I'm declaring through this baptism that he is my Lord and my Savior, that I have accepted him. Baptism is also a sign of dying to your old self. You're coming down and you're rising back up to be made new and whole again. And so this is why Peter is like, you know what? You've been changed. You've been, the Spirit is at work with you. Go get baptized. So the question I want to ask you is, how do you tell if the Holy Spirit is working in your life? What are some evidence or, or, or ways that you can tell that the Holy Spirit is working in your life? Uh, for me, I think one clear sign, and it's evident that the Spirit works in me, is actually when I uh, tear up while worshiping through songs or prayer or reading scripture. Like, I don't usually cry unless if I'm like super overly overwhelmed, stressed, you know, burdened, depressed, or, you know, someone passes away, or if I get badly injured. I've been injured before, but I haven't been that badly injured where tears came out, so I'm thankful for that. But those are only times that I cry. But one clear sign for me that the Spirit's at work is when I just worship God freely on my own, and then tears just start coming out, and I actually can't even control it. It's weird. It's like you just want to control it, stop, but it just keeps coming. And so for me, I, I know in those moments that the Spirit of God is actually working in my life through his word and through prayer. And then burden, I can sense the, sen the burden has been lifted off my heart, and I can sense God's peace in me. And so that's when I know the Holy Spirit is working. Now, I want to share my mom's story. My mom found Jesus and accepted him as her Savior at a young age. She wanted to get baptized. Um, but my grandma, who was, she was like, she wasn't a Buddhist or anything. She just liked to worship, like, ancestors, like, just, like, do the incense here and there. So she was against Christianity. She was against, um, you know, her being baptized. In fact, my grandma actually threatened to kill herself, to hang herself, if my mom decided to get baptized. So imagine yourself in my mom's shoes. Like, what would you have done if your mom or someone that you love threatened to kill themselves if they if you choose to follow Jesus for the rest of your life it you know it, it's scary and concerned to hear someone you love would do this and so during that week the elders of the church fasted for the whole week and prayed for my mom though my mom was fearing during that week at the end of the day my mom was strong and convicted to go home and get baptized because of how Jesus has changed her life and how the spirit was moving her what my mom experienced was real. 
And that's why even in this scary situation, my mom still was having strong faith and confidence in Jesus that this was the right move to get baptized. And so through God's sovereignty, my mom went home after church and my grandma did not, um, did not hang herself. In fact, um, 20, she's now 93. I can share this. I actually asked my mom for the story. So my, mom, my grandma is 93-year-old, still a strong, uh, a strong woman, and she's a Christ follower, and she was baptized actually 20 years ago. So over time, God worked within our family, and then my grandma and my grandpa became Christians. So in a way, you know, so, so this shows that when the Spirit is at work and on the move, that we have to answer, and, but when we answer God's call, he does amazing work, and he gives you that boldness, that confidence to take steps, even if it seems scary. So we are called to live out our faith and to point people to Jesus. This is what living, having a new life in Christ looks like. We have experienced the love and goodness of God. We have experienced his forgiveness. We have been changed. The question is, when your life has been changed by an amazing experience, wouldn't you want to tell people? Right? Like Peter began telling people about Jesus and preaching the gospel in his ministry because he witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. If we have experienced God's goodness, it should promise to share it with others. But you know what? I also want to acknowledge that telling people about Jesus is difficult, especially if you're an introvert like me. So all you introverts out there, I hear you. I support you. I know, what you, I know how you feel because I am the same way. So it is tough, right? So, but in, even in, in Peter's scenario, in situation, he was being criticized for associating with a Gentile. Remember, Jews and Gentiles do not associate with one another. So I think a point that I want to make is this. When sharing the good news is difficult, share your story. When sharing the good news is difficult, share your story. Sometimes people don't want you to quote scripture when talking about God, so the best way is probably to share your story of how God has worked in your life. I think that's the best way to tell people about the gospel. Here, Peter was confronted by fellow believers as, you know, because he was associating with Cornelius. So Peter shared his story of how he met with Cornelius and how God orchestrated everything, right? And so first... One, two, three, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to the Jerusalem and circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So this was a big no-no. But now Peter, in verses 4 to 14, he pretty much summarizes the whole story of how God orchestrated everything and how they met together. And so an author of the commentary says this, the food loss underscores Israel's separation from the nations. By making unclean food clean, God is showing how table fellowship and acceptance of Gentiles are more easily accomplished in the new era because of Jesus. So that's why Peter explains in verse 12, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. And so verse 15, almost to the end, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I re remember what the Lord has said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same spirit he gave us who believe in the Lord 
Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. After this, guys, they finally understood the real message of the gospel. They finally understood that there is actually, because of Christ, there is no more division among different nations and people. And this is the new chapter, what the new chapter looks like, where everyone can come together. This new chapter also means that the Holy Spirit is with us daily, working in our hearts, leading us closer to Jesus so that we would grow and become more Christ-like. In fact, in times of our weakness, God becomes our strength through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That is also where we will experience the resurrection of Jesus in our lives, his victory, where we can overcome the battles and sins we face. So question I want to ask you guys as I'm just closing off. Where are you currently at in your life and faith, in your spiritual walk? What is that one battle, the sin, the habit, the insecurity, the brokenness that you feel like is holding you down, where it has a foothold in your life that you can't seem to overcome? We all have battles in our lives, whether we admit it or not. But what is that one thing that's just holding you down that you just feel like you cannot move forward? And some of us in here, I believe, have been allowing our past and current mistakes, our sins to control us and hold us down. That makes that, that we keep thinking we can't move on. But I hope that you know the truth that Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that he is Lord of everything. That since Jesus, who carried all of our sins and burdens and died on that cross so that we won't face any punishment and death, Jesus was raised from the dead. Does that not show that our battles aren't too big for him to handle? I hope you recognize this one truth. The point is that nothing is too big for Jesus to handle. No matter what battle or sin that you are wrestling with, in your life, nothing is too big for Jesus to handle because Jesus proved himself on that cross when he died and when he resurrected. He claimed that was God's victory over sin and death. I want to share, just close up my sharing. Um, I was doing a devotion last week or two weeks ago, and I came across John 3, 16 and 17 to 17. And I just want to read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a verse that we all are familiar with. Now verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What this means is that God's main number one objective of sending Jesus isn't for Jesus to come into this world to condemn us, but to save us from our sin. Because why? 16, for God so loved the world that he's willing to send his one and only son to sacrifice himself so that we can all experience new life. So that whatever battles that we face, that we can actually overcome it, that the battle that you're currently facing can now become a past tense in your story that I once 
struggled with this, but now I am healed. So now I am restored because of not what I have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So the point is, let Jesus save you. Present your request to God. As we, if you are a believer, you know that Scripture already says, even before we say anything, that God already knows our mind and our heart, what we're wrestling with, what is on our mind. So if he already knows, you might as well just say it out loud. There's nothing to hide. So if you're really wrestling with your faith, with your doubt, with any battles, I want to encourage you guys, you can actually approach God. Because today when we celebrate this risen king, it shows that we can actually trust him. So may you continue to experience God's love and forgiveness. It's my prayer to you. May you experience God's resurrection and his victory in your life where you can overcome your battles because of what Jesus has done for you on that cross. This is the new chapter, the new life that we are part of in God's kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are so good, and we thank you for Jesus, for dying on the cross, and for, your for his resurrection, and now we can be part of your victory, that we, can no that we will no longer be slaves to our own sin, but that we can experience your freedom from that, and, and to be raised to life with Christ. So God, I pray that whatever that we are struggling with in our life, Lord, that we will learn to trust you, to trust in your spirit's work, that we will come to you to know that you are with us, that we can come as we are, and that we would experience your forgiveness and your love, and that we can be changed. So we thank you, God, that you did not come here for the righteous, but you came here for sinners like us. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross, and we, that we get to celebrate the risen king today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.